Part One, Chapter Eight of A Key to Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, in November 2018. Chapter Eight, Marie Saint Clair marie st clair is the type of a class of women not peculiar to any latitude nor any condition of society she may be found in england or in america in the northern free states we have many marie st clairs more or less fully developed when found in the northern latitude she is forever in trouble about her domestic relations her servants never do anything right strange to tell they are not perfect and she thinks it a very great shame she is fully convinced that she ought to have every moral and christian virtue in her kitchen for a little less than the ordinary wages and when her cook leaves her because she finds that she can get better wages and less work in a neighboring family she thinks it shockingly selfish unprincipled conduct she is of opinion that servants ought to be perfectly disinterested that they ought to be willing to take up with the worst rooms in the house with very moderate wages and very indifferent food when they can get much better elsewhere purely for the sake of pleasing her she likes to get hold of foreign servants who have not yet learned our ways who are used to working for low wages and who will be satisfied with almost anything but she is often heard to lament that they soon get spoiled and want as many privileges as anybody else which is perfectly shocking marie often wishes that she could be a slaveholder or could live somewhere where the lower class are kept down and made to know their place she is always hunting for cheap seamstresses and will tell you in an undertone that she has discovered a woman who will make linen shirts beautifully stitch the collars and wristbands twice all for thirty-seven cents when many seamstresses get a dollar for it says she does it because she's poor and has no friends thinks you had better be careful in your conversation and not let her know what prices are or else she will get spoiled and go to raising her price these sewing women are so selfish when marie st clair has the misfortune to live in a free state there is no end to her troubles her cook is always going off for better wages and more comfortable quarters her chambermaid strangely enough won't agree to be chambermaid and seamstress both for half wages and so she deserts marie's kitchen cabinet therefore is always in a state of revolution and she often declares with affecting earnestness that servants are the torment of her life if her husband endeavor to remonstrate or suggest another mode of treatment he is a hard-hearted unfeeling man he doesn't love her and she always knew he didn't and so he is disposed of but when marie comes under a system of laws which gives her absolute control over her dependents which enables her to separate them at her pleasure from their dearest family connections or to inflict upon them the most disgraceful and violent punishments without even the restraint which seeing the execution might possibly produce then it is that the character arrives at full maturity human nature is no worse at the south than at the north but law at the south distinctly provides for and protects the worst abuses to which that nature is liable 
it is often supposed that domestic servitude in slave states is a kind of paradise that house servants are invariably pets that young mistresses are always fond of their mammies and young masters always handsome good-natured and indulgent let any one in old england or new england look about among their immediate acquaintances and ask how many there are who would use absolute despotic power amiably in a family especially over a class degraded by servitude ignorant indolent deceitful provoking as slaves almost always necessarily are and always must be let them look into their own hearts and ask themselves if they would dare be trusted with such power do they not find in themselves temptations to be unjust to those who are inferiors and dependents do they not find themselves tempted to be irritable and provoked when the service of their families is negligently performed and if they had the power to inflict cruel punishments or to have them inflicted by sending the servant out to some place of correction would they not be tempted to use that liberty with regard to those degrading punishments to which females are subjected by being sent to professional whippers or by having such functionaries sent for to the house as john caphart testifies that he has often been in baltimore what can be said of their influence both on the superior and the inferior class it is very painful indeed to contemplate this subject the mind instinctively shrinks from it but still it is a very serious question whether it be not our duty to encounter this pain that our sympathies may be quickened into more active exercise for this reason we give here the testimony of a gentleman whose accuracy will not be doubted and who subjected himself to the pain of being an eye-witness to a scene of this kind in the calaboose in new orleans as the reader will perceive from the account it was a scene of such everyday occurrence as not to excite any particular remark or any expression of sympathy from those of the same condition and color with the sufferer when our missionaries first went to india it was esteemed a duty among christian nations to make themselves acquainted with the cruelties and atrocities of idolatrous worship as a means of quickening our zeal to send them the gospel if it be said that we in the free states have no such interest in slavery as we do not support it and have no power to prevent it it is replied that slavery does exist in the district of columbia which belongs to the whole united states and that the free states are before god guilty of the crime of continuing it there unless they will honestly do what in them lies for its extermination the subjoined account was written by the benevolent dr howe whose labors in behalf of the blind have rendered his name dear to humanity and was sent in a letter to the hon charles sumner if any one think it too painful to be perused let him ask himself if god will hold those guiltless who suffer a system to continue the details of which they cannot even read that this describes a common scene in the calaboose we shall by and by produce other witnesses to show quoting dr howe i have passed ten days in new orleans not unprofitably i trust in examining the public institutions the schools asylums hospitals prisons etc with the exception of the first there is little hope of amelioration i know not how much merit there may be in their system but i do know 
that in the administration of the penal code there are abominations which should bring down the fate of sodom upon the city if howard or mrs fry ever discovered so ill-administered a den of thieves as the new orleans prison they never described it in the negro's apartment i saw much which made me blush that i was a white man and which for a moment stirred up an evil spirit in my animal nature entering a large paved courtyard around which ran galleries filled with slaves of all ages sexes and colors i heard the snap of a whip every stroke of which sounded like the sharp crack of a pistol i turned my head and beheld a sight which absolutely chilled me to the marrow of my bones and gave me for the first time in my life the sensation of my hair stiffening at the roots there lay a black girl flat upon her face on a board her two thumbs tied and fastened to one end her feet tied and drawn tightly to the other end while a strap passed over the small of her back and fastened around the board compressing her closely to it below the strap she was entirely naked by the side and six feet off stood a huge negro with a long whip which he applied with dreadful power and wonderful precision every stroke brought away a strip of skin which clung to the lash or fell quivering on the pavement while the blood followed after it the poor creature writhed and shrieked and in a voice which showed alike her fear of death and her dreadful agony screamed to her master who stood at her head oh spare my life don't cut my soul out but still fell the horrid lash still strip after strip peeled off from the skin gash after gash was cut in her living flesh until it became a livid and bloody mass of raw and quivering muscle it was with the greatest difficulty i refrained from springing upon the torturer and arresting his lash but alas what could i do but turn aside to hide my tears for the sufferer and my blushes for humanity this was in a public and regularly organized prison the punishment was one recognized and authorized by the law but think you the poor wretch had committed a heinous offence and had been convicted thereof and sentenced to the lash not at all she was brought by her master to be whipped by the common executioner without trial judge or jury just at his beck or nod for some real or supposed offence or to gratify his own whim or malice and he may bring her day after day without cause assigned and inflict any number of lashes he pleases short of twenty-five provided only he pays the fee or if he choose he may have a private whipping-board on his own premises and brutalize himself there a shocking part of this horrid punishment was its publicity as i have said it was in a courtyard surrounded by galleries which were filled with colored persons of all sexes runaway slaves committed for some crime or slaves up for sale you would naturally suppose they crowded forward and gazed horror-stricken at the brutal spectacle below but they did not many of them hardly noticed it and many were entirely indifferent to it they went on in their childish pursuits and some were laughing outright in the distant parts of the galleries so low can man created in god's image be sunk in brutality end of part one chapter eight marie st clair